welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 96 for Wednesday, December 11th, 2019. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. I am a huge fan of published material, hard copy, print editions that you can hold in your hand, whether it's books from the libraries or magazines like Game Informer or my own magazine, which I publish quarterly, Juice to GS, all about old Apple computers. And so I have a kindred spirit on the show today, the founder and creative director of the video game magazine, A Profound Waste of Time, Caspian Whistler. Hello, Cass. Hey, dude. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you're very busy putting together the next issue of the magazine, running the Kickstarter to fund it, doing your day job and everything else. So I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I mean, I don't know if it's that impressive, but yeah, I, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. So I've backed both of your Kickstarters, so I'm familiar with APWOT, but for those of our listeners who may be new to it, how would you describe this production of yours? A profound waste of time, or like I tend to abbreviate it as like AppWatt, which um, it's a, it's like an independent magazine that I started as a student initially um, when I was studying graphic design at uni. And it's basically evolved since then to become this big, long-form kind of anthology of like long-form writing about video games. The emphasis really isn't on um, news and reviews or keeping people up to date as much as it is about like talking about how games make people think and feel on like an emotional level or like on a human level. So the idea is to create like printed content that's timeless. And uh, there's also a big emphasis on illustration. So it's a big illustrated art book. We don't tend to have game screenshots in the mag. So yeah, a big long art book about games written by people in the games industry, if that makes sense. I have so many questions about the content and the illustration, but I want to dig a little bit into the background of it. I understand that Applot was inspired by zines. What are zines? So, yeah, so like, like I touched on, like, so as a graphic design student, we were introduced to the concept of zines, which are basically a zine is, is, you know, it's just a magazine with the, um, (laughs) with the, uh, MAGA chopped off. Um, it's, it's this abbreviated term that's used to refer to something that is written literature that is like self-published. Um, so the idea of people were making their own magazines during like the punk era in the UK when photocopying was becoming a big thing that was, you know, becoming cheaply accessible. Printing was becoming really cheaply accessible. People were making their own, uh, little publications basically. And these were called zines and, you know, there's a huge thriving, um, zine culture that's still active today of just people getting together and making things, collaborating and doing it on basically no budget. That's how a profound waste of time started. It was like a very small, independent little thing that I made initially completely on my own. I used to do all the writing and art solo. And now I get to work with all these amazing people and actually commission, you know, illustrators and writers to do the content thanks to Kickstarter. It sounds like you've evolved a lot from your zine roots. This is still self-published literature, but it's voluminous, it's colorful. Do you consider it a zine or a magazine? I can, I mean, now it's like a magazine. I mean, really, in terms of build quality, it's actually much closer to a book, really. Um, I think 
it's still very much a magazine because that's, you know, contextually game magazines are sort of dying out. And the whole idea was to sort of resuscitate that in um, a new way. But the, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'm less worried about um, defining it as much as I am about just making the thing, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it certainly does. I am also curious, though, about your choice of format. So this is a print publication. And as you said, print is sort of dying out. Just in this past year, we saw Game Informer had significant layoffs. Mm. About three years ago, Kill Screen went out of print. So what is the role or value of print in such a fast-moving industry? I think like th- that's exactly the point, right? You just said it, fast-moving. I, I often think that the game scene is actually too fast-moving for its own good sometimes. I think there's something about physical media that completely changes the way in which we kind of like you digest and read something like reading an article on your computer screen or on your phone is a very, very different experience to reading it in like physical form. The state of mind I'd say is a bit different. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like it's not quite um, as instantaneous a process. I describe it as similar to the difference between listening to music on Spotify or setting up your vinyl record player. If you're lucky enough to have one and playing it, it's a, it's a different kind of way of enjoying more or less the same content, but the, the medium being different kind of changes the way that you digest stuff. Um, does that make sense at all? Yeah, you've talked a little bit about how format dictates the content and the fact that it is in print lends itself to not necessarily news and reviews, but more in-depth content. Is that right? Basically, yeah. I mean, I think like a huge, like the, the magazine, uh, the original impetus for it, because I started it around 2014, and I don't know if you remember a lot of uh, games discourse around that time, but it was pretty depressing. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a really, it was a really bad time to be interested in games. And, and I think a lot of that, like, you know, the, the sort of culture that we've been sort of privy to is kind of been generated by this, like, you know, this reactionary kind of state of mind. And we're seeing that, you know, that's coming from the platforms that we're using from these online platforms that kind of incentivize quick reactions. Um, you know, um, anything that's like on the far end of a spectrum. Uh, to be considered extreme gets clicks and that creates, you know, revenue. Um, so we kind of live on this like attention economy at the moment. And that obviously changes the way content has to exist and be served, right? So when you make something as a physical publication, you get to remove yourself from all of that and you get to create like what I would say, you, you know, quieter content, more reflective content. A huge part of what I wanted to talk about was, you know, games how games affect people you know emotionally and you know spiritually and you know what they're how it makes them think and feel and all of that is you know it just lends itself much better to a quiet little zine as opposed to you know i'm not sure if a lot of the content um that we publish in the magazine would be self-sustaining in a you know if a profound waste of time was a website i just don't think it would be feasible is that to say that your magazine's content is not available online? It's not a PDF anywhere? <laughs> no, no. Like, it's very decisively meant to be, um, you know, a, a physical object that you spend time with. Um, 
I mean, and that's definitely the case for now. I mean, it's funny if you type in a profound waste of time onto Google, like the very first thing that comes up is a profound waste of time PDF. <laughs> like that's the auto-suggested Google, Google search term that comes up. So clearly there is demand for, you know, there to be an online version. But I, I, you know, the reason it's called a profound waste of time isn't just meant to be a, you know, like a clever comment about video games, but it's also meant to be a comment on like, what's the point? of creating a physical games magazine in this day and age when you've got the internet and all this accessibility, all this instantaneous information. I think the fact that the magazine is like not, you know, internet-based in any shape or form, like is a really big part of its identity. So you feel that having the content both in print and online, instead of complementing each other, they might actually compete with each other? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd go that strongly. I think, but I, you know, I, I think for me, like this, this whole project has been about, um, creating like a beautiful object. You know, the nice thing about books is that they have like the potential to like bridge interests. You don't really need to, um, be a, um, a, a quote unquote gamer to enjoy uh, a profound waste of time. You just need to enjoy nice writing and pretty pictures. You know what I mean? So there's uh, no need really to, you know, when you, when it's a physical object, someone can stumble across it. You know, they can just enjoy being with the object when it's just something that is online you have to sort of know what you're looking for to be able to find it in the first place ironically do you know what i mean like the internet's so massive you kind of have to immediately know what your interests are there's something so nice about being able to bring this thing and show it to another person the title a profound waste of time is something that you know people always used to tell me about video games growing up that like these were just like irrelevant and you shouldn't be doing them and it creates absolutely no positive impact on your life and it's not growing you as a person at all and what's so nice and what i wanted to do with the zine was just to create my own little curated like example of like what games are for me and how they make me feel and you know the stuff the art that they make me want to create and the writing that they make me want to write you know you sort of tongue-in-cheek describe video games as a profound waste of time are there any particular games that you're you fell in love with that inspired you to create an entire magazine about them I, i mean i'd be lying if i didn't say that like you know, growing up uh, in the UK, you, most gaming discussion kind of boiled down to sort of Call of Duty or FIFA or GTA. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that was the that was the mo- most you'd really get to talk to people about games about. Um, you know, those were the subjects that people would sort of gravitate to. I always got really frustrated because I always felt that like there's so much more to games as a medium than <laughs> those three those three titles you know like and that's not a comment on you know those games in particular or you know anything you know or anything about like the way they're made or anything because they're all you know powerhouses for a reason but um i just like you know i think there's something problematic right when people think of video games and they just think of those three things and that was a consistent thing that sort of, you know, happened a lot with my conversations about games. And I often found that when people were being dismissive about the medium, it's because they didn't really know that games could be more than that or that there were different kinds of games. Um, a really good example is that, you know, when you think about 
so many people call themselves gamers, right? Or video game players or games enthusiasts or whatever term that, that you want to call them. But they, uh, you know, they tend to play just like the biggest AAA releases, right? And then that becomes the stuff that is known to most people. But I wouldn't call someone who just went to see Marvel superhero films and exclusively Marvel superhero films a film buff. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think that they would claim to either. With all that in mind, I was sort of creating this publication to be like, oh, well, like here are the games that I like. And then maybe if I like create this and package it in a way that is nice enough that people would be curious to look into, I can sort of demonstrate video games as sort of, you know, as like a broader artistic medium, I guess, which I guess sounds quite lofty and self-important now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> But that's the, that's the, that was the aim, you know, it came from a, I think zines often come from a place of frustration, you know, the punk movement started from a place of frustration and they started the zine movement. So I think it's only natural that my zine would eventually come from the same place. No, that that sounds brilliant. And I think it's, you need to have ambitious goals if you want to make any sort of a difference. And let's talk about some of the amazing content you got to help you achieve that goal. In your first issue, for example, you had Jake Kaufman, Ashley Birch, Susan Arndt, Jonathan Holmes. How was it that this being your first Kickstarter, your first issue of your magazine, you were able to attract such an all-star editorial lineup? Uh, well, the, the honest truth is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> something happened. I don't know. I, I think one thing, I think it kind of goes back to that frustration feeling um that i was talking about earlier i think that you know at the time when i started this thing like games discourse was so caustic and so horrible you know and you know i was thinking like if i'm going to create a zine about like you know and it's if the zine is going to come from a place of rebellion how do you rebel against that like so many of the voices in zines are already angry voices but when the games industry is already so angry where there are a million youtube channels where someone's got the title angry video game person or some kind of variation of that as their as their channel name it it does make you um wonder so i i decided that the the way i would rebel is by doing the opposite which is by being creating a space that is really calm and really welcoming and really pretty and really like just uh, you know nice and inviting and you know expansive and welcoming i don't know and i think that kind of struck a chord with people that i was writing to i think you know a lot of the people when i was asking them to you know to take part you know i'd already been making the zine a few like a couple issues before so i had something physical to show which really helped so you know it wasn't just like hey i've got this business idea uh do you <laughs> do you want to um you know take part in this zine that may or may not exist like i had something physical to show and that really helped and i think i was t maybe i was tapping into something that a lot of people were feeling similarly to and made them want to take part that's the best i can guess at the moment as to how I got people. And, and once you get people to take part, like other people are willing to take part, it kind of snowballs in that sense. So I just, the real answer is I'm just incredibly lucky. Whenever people ask me what they need before they go on Kickstarter, I tell them they need either a prototype and or a reputation. And you had that by having published this magazine before. You were able to attract some great writers, but also not just writers, also actual game developers writing about 
their own games. Did you find working with them to be a different experience from working with traditional journalists or members of the games press to actually work with programmers, designers, coders, writing about their own games? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's super difficult. Like it's like herding cats, and that's not because <laughs> that's not because like any of the people are you know bad at what they do, not at all. But you know, when a game dev says that they'll write, um, it's amazing. But they're also a game dev, which means that they're working really hard making a video game. <laughs> so that means that when it comes time to you know to actually you know, find the time to write for the magazine. It's a, it's a complete gear shift. And it's a, honestly, it's a miracle that we were able to get any of the people to take part that we do at all. And the fact that we're able to not only, you know, get them to take part, but also to get them to finish and write a piece. It's, 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 it's amazing. Like, Writers tend to be better, I want to say, at sticking to deadlines and stuff. But my whole, the, you know, a big part of why the magazine is able to exist at all is because we, you know, because there's no advertising, because it's self-funded, there is no deadline. So I'm happy to wait for the right piece to get finished. You know, I don't know. I think if we were doing a hard deadline, we wouldn't have got those game devs to take part. Do you know what I mean? Like it would have been too hard. Um, so having like the freedom to just, let's release you know to say to ourselves let's release something when it's ready i think that i think that's the only reason we're able to work with game developers and writers and voice actors at all do you know what i mean it's similar to what shigeru miyamoto once said to paraphrase him a delayed magazine is eventually good but a bad magazine is bad forever he did say that he did say that 100 percent. good old shigsy <laughs> i actually don't know like i actually don't know if that original quote is correctly like isn't there a lot of debate about as to whether or not he actually said that that might not be attributed to him either way it's a good quote but <laughs> i hadn't considered the fact that since you don't have a deadline you can wait for content i can also see how that might trickle down to your writers where they say oh well cast doesn't have a deadline so neither should i and then <laughs> why yeah. not take their time the first magazine was meant to take six months to make uh, it ended up taking a year and a half to make god knows how, how long uh, issue two is going to take i don't think it's as simple as that you know with the um kickstarter we got funded twice over the first time and my end result was that I just put all of that money into the magazine, which made it take twice as long to make and, you know, twice as much content. It's understandable. And then, you know, so much life happens, you know, like things happen outside of people's control. So, yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I do need to look going forward as to like sort of how I can keep the magazine on sort of like a regular on like a semi-regular release schedule. But I think the main thing is just learning to walk before we can run. Do you know what I mean? And I think if we can just get some good publications out, then that's the main thing for me. I, I'm, I'm happy to chip away on them in the background if they take a long time. Uh, and I think our readers are happy to wait as well, thankfully, um, for the same reason, because they want it to be good too. What about choosing the games? How do you choose, like, is this primarily modern indie games you cover? Or if somebody wanted to write about a mainstream game like FIFA or a 30 or 40 year old game like the original Mario Brothers. Is that something you'd be open to or is that not really your focus? Yeah. No, I mean, like for me, it's just about like, does the writer genuinely care about what they're writing about? You know, we're not interested in news and reviews because, you know, there's, I don't think there's any point in having any of that 
in a magazine that's going to be out of date the moment it's printed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like who's going to who's going to read it? Like there's for that reason, like no one is. Um, the key thing is that people can talk about whatever they want. Um, as much as, as long as it's something that they, you know, as a game or topic, but like they genuinely care about and that's important to them or that they have something interesting to say, you know? Um, so for that reason, you can talk about, yeah, you can talk about a game that released today, a game that's not out yet or a game from 40 years ago. I think my main point is that like, as long as it's always just a great place for jumping off into a discussion or into, you know, exploring something. Because, you know, while the magazine is a games magazine, often it's about everything else but games. <laughs> you know, games are often like the impetus for like all this other creative output that these people are making. So <clears throat> I'd say that's the core. Yeah. Yeah. Video games are very much a narrative medium these days. And we connect with their stories through our own stories, sort of like Ashley Birch in the first issue. It's, it's just a leaping off mm. point for all these other things that are happening in our lives. Mm, yeah yeah i think i mean that's a classic example like that was actually like the first article that we'd gotten um submitted when i was doing issue one i just remember thinking like oh my god like the content of this magazine can be really really important and special you know if people um you know if when people are like willing to put themselves out there like that yeah, it's it's all about just communicating, hopefully, through the content that games are inspiring, but they inspire people to do things and to make things and to think things. Um, you know, that's why this title is A Profound Waste of Time and the subtitle is um, Inspired by Video Games, because I think we always talk about games in terms of how much money they make or how... Uh, how big they are or you know we always talk about them in certain lights but we never talk about them as like inspiring pieces of art speaking of art this magazine is very important not only in terms of its editorial content but also its layout and i can't help but think about how different that is from the design of the magazine i publish i am the sole editor and publisher although i have a staff of writers for this magazine that comes out four times a year and I have the same templates I've been using for 25 years, text boxes that I just drag and drop stuff into. Your magazine, mm. every page is un a unique work of art. How much effort must that take and how do you tie it all together? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, it's a, a lot of, a lot of crying. Uh, a lot of pulling my hair out and just freaking out for months on end. Um, I mean, the honest answer, you know, snarky joking comments aside, I guess, is that like, it's just, it's just, it's just about, you know, the fact that we have the time to do it, you know? Like, I, I think that's the main thing. I mean, I imagine the reason why you have a template that you've been using is because you have a deadline and you have to get that out by a certain amount of time. Because we like, because we are lucky enough to get crowdfunded, it just gives us the breathing space to create something that, um, that I, we can obsess about the minutiae of, you know, in terms of layout and templates and stuff, you know, I remember when I was doing this, I really freaked out because, you know, I was, I, this was my first big project out of uni. You know, I just graduated and then the Kickstarter happened and I was just like, what am I? I just felt completely out of my depth for a bit of it. So I worked with an actual graphic designer to help me build the kind of uh, uh, 
grid-like template. It's not the same as a template, but more of just like a grid, a baseline to work from. Uh, from there, I can, um, you know, build onto and customize and change and, you know, do all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I worked with a designer, Leo Field, um, to help me build the very basic skeleton structure of the pages. But that only helps so much. Every page still takes like a huge amount of consideration and time. And, you know, then there's typesetting the whole thing, making sure that all the paragraphs are just perfectly placed. Yeah, it's... um. It's just a case of uh, trying my hardest to just make every page visually interesting. I don't want anything. If we're cutting it down a tree to make something, I don't want anyone. I don't want like I don't want there to be a single page where you think, "Oh, this was expendable." Like it has to justify its existence as a physical book. Otherwise, what's the point? You know. Wow, that's a, no, that is amazing. And one of the things that is so amazing about the layout, no, it truly is. I, I, I mean, I'm an environmentalist, but I never thought of it as you owe it to the tree to make as good a product as you can. And I think you just up the standard for my own work. <laughs> well, that's really sweet of you to say, but no, honestly, don't like, don't, like, I, I, one thing that, I mean, we tr I try and do is, um, you know, the paper that we use for the magazine is carbon neutral. It's becoming increasingly hard to justify, like, making anything physical nowadays, you know, like, I, I really want, if we're going to do this, to make it in the most ethical way possible and make it, you know, I think the main thing for me is that I want this to be a positive a positive thing. There's so much negativity in the world and especially in the games industry it can be so caustic. Like I want to create something that is like un like uncompromisingly optimistic and that will make you feel good to read it, know that you're supporting something that is good and just have you give you a clear conscience mostly when you when you read it. Like I'm trying hard not to use sort of plastics and stuff in the magazine as much as possible um for that reason. But yeah, I mean I don't know, like the environment's an important thing and we could get sidetracked into talking about that for ages. But yeah, like um, there's no reason to, and I'm only doing that again because I can afford to, because the Kickstarter allows me to sort of use these techniques and to take the time to do that. But I would not feel, um, you know, that that necessarily reflects on the work of anyone else or if anyone isn't doing that, that they should be ashamed at all. That is not at all, <laughs> that is not at all my intention. One more thing about the layout that I want to comment on is how impressive it is that even though every page is a work of art, it doesn't impede the readability. I've seen magazines where you flip every page and you don't know where to start looking or what direction your eye is supposed to go in or where one thing connects to the other. They're trying to be diverse and varied, but it just ends up being confusing. And somehow that's a pitfall you've avoided. You make these unique pages and yet still a very readable magazine yeah, thank you yeah that's really nice of you i think uh, because i knew that every page was going to be illustrated and because i knew that you know there were going to be a lot of changes in layout i was really clear that you'd always have a sort of anchor point for each page the idea at least is that you know when you flick through this thing no matter how um i don't know erratic or 
Ooh, what's the right word? I don't know. Um, no matter how different each page was, that you would always be able to have a comfortable time reading it. Right, the text would always have a certain degree of space around it, but you'd always, you know, be able to um, find your place on the page. I think it's just, yeah, it's just, it's not that different from a lot of sort of game design principles. It's about conveying information to, you know, the audience, whether that's the player or the reader in the clearest and most concise way possible. Um, so I'm really glad that you said that, uh, Ken. That's really sweet of you. I call it like I see it. That's all. <laughs> Thanks. Let's talk about your Kickstarter for a bit. We, you've put a lot of work into your magazines. How much work went into the magazine before you even launched the Kickstarter? Like, Did you already have writers lined up, articles written, etc.? I've been um, I've been trying to get this Kickstarter off the ground since... Uh, started i properly started working on it in march of this year so it's december now i mean we launched in november so good nine months or something and really i was emailing people before then back in january so yeah it's been a lot of work it's just it's just a natural it's a natural consequence of working on something more or less on your own i'm really really lucky in that one of the people who helps me on the magazine is um darren wall darren is one of the um he's the uh founder of a video game publishing um company well not video game publishing video game book publishing company called uh, read only memory and he's made a lot of fantastic books like the sega read uh the sega uh, mega drive uh genesis collected works and he's just coming out now with a dreamcast book um he creates these beautiful anthologies and he helps me but even with like you know the two of us and you know even with darren's help like it does take just <laughs> it takes a lot of time to get something like this off the ground, you know, to film and edit the Kickstarter video, to get people to commit, to sort of keep them committed over the months it takes to get other people to commit. Uh, it just is a long process. Yeah. No, and that makes sense that you don't want to go on Kickstarter and ask people to fund a concept. You want to say, I have all this work done and we just need your help to get over the finish line. I think that's a formula for a successful kickstarter yeah i mean i hope so i think beyond that also it's um you know i like a big thing i was worried about ken with this one was that i i i kind of feared that if i was doing a kickstarter again after the first one it would seem somehow complacent or you know like that people wouldn't support it so i really wanted to make every effort to show that we're doing this and it's an event and you know that there's a lot of care and love in this thing. You know, Kickstarter is amazing, but it's also, you know, it's quite a thing to ask strangers for money. And I don't do that lightly, you know, like I have to do it. I have to do it with, you know, every effort to be as, you know, to do it as well as possible and, you know, as, and do it in a way that's as agreeable as possible to the backers, you know, to the people who are kind enough to support. Well, I would certainly not describe any of your work as complacent. I don't think your backers would either. The, f the first Kickstarter, as you mentioned earlier, received almost twice the amount of funding you asked for. You asked for 20,000 pounds. You got 39,000 exactly. This time, your initial ask was 37,000 pounds, and you've already exceeded that. You've already accrued more than the first Kickstarter did. So does that yeah. mean that... Like last time, you ended up making a magazine that was twice as big as you expected. Is that your goal this time to make a magazine that is exactly the right size? No, I think like the magazine is already too big. To be honest, I think <laughs> I think it's just a case of 
you know, I was really lucky to get more money than the first time, like more money than we asked for the first time. But the end result of that is that, you know, we were using that money at a time when I didn't really know what the magazine was. You know, I was molding this thing out of clay. I didn't know what the dimensions were going to be. I don't know what the um, page count was going to be. I, I know those things now, which is why we asked for more money than we did the first time for this new Kickstarter, because I had an idea of what the page dimensions were, what the magazine actually was. Um, this time, with the money that we've got extra, I mean, I'm probably going to be using it to just like invest in the magazine, invest in the company as much as possible. You know, there's so much stuff that needs doing, like websites and stuff, you know, updating the website, updating our, um, you know, our shopping system, making sure that like everyone is paid. It will mean that we can hire more illustrators and more writers this time. And ultimately, though, like all the money that is coming in is just going to be used to make more magazines. You know, we're going to print as many magazines as people ask for. So that's where the bulk of the cash is going to go. But yeah. Do you have stretch goals outlined? Like if you earn this much more than your goal, you will do this other thing? Not really, no. And I think, I think um, you know, I've already experienced Project Bloat with issue one, and we didn't have any stretch goals then either. I think ultimately, like, uh, I'm only asking for enough money to do the thing that I want to do. Anything else I, on top of that is an immense gift, <clears throat> and I'm so grateful for it. But I just worry that, you know, you see it in game Kickstarters all the time when people have loads of stretch goals and then the project becomes like this uncontrollable behemoth that they can't get a handle on. And I just kind of want to avoid that as much as I can, which is, yeah, so hence no stretch goals at the moment, at least. Other than the funding goals, what did you learn from the first Kickstarter going into your second one? Ooh, God, I don't know. I think the thing I've learned is that things go wrong. Things go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> really wrong. Uh, I remember, you know, when I used to do this thing on my own, I was only accountable to myself. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of indie game um, projects that are made by one people teams. Um, I think maybe a lot of that is to do with the degree to which we kind of like the auteur story. You know, we like talking about, oh, this is a Hideo Kojima game or, you know, Toby Fox, this incredible guy made this game like on his own. Um we love narratives like that, but I think also there's a degree to which when you're working with people, you know, the, you have to rely on other people as well. Um, being accountable only to yourself is great. But, you know, a classic example, right, is with the printing. We were originally going to print with a company in uh, Croatia, uh, and we did print with them, and they were great. And then we tried to do a reprint, but they... Uh, they declared bankruptcy halfway through the printing and you know we'd already i'd already paid you know quite a large sum of money to get a new batch of magazines made i mean relatively in the grand scheme of things like it's not a huge amount of money for most companies but for a small startup thing like like a profound waste of time it was huge um you know and that's something that you can't prepare for you can't do anything for you know there's no way of really like being able to futuristically see ahead and, you know, see that stuff coming, you just become more cautious and, you know, you become better at rolling with punches. And I think that's true for any kind of creative endeavor, whether it's game dev, whether it's, you know, a magazine, whether it's a uh, filmmaking is just things will happen outside of your control. And I'm very prepared for that to all happen again and more for issue two. 
but that's actually really positive. I think I feel really like relaxed about it in a way, knowing that these things can happen. And also knowing that we were able to get something made despite all of that stuff going wrong. It's a good feeling. It gives you a confidence to know that you can overcome these obstacles because you have before and hopefully they won't happen a second time. But if they do, you have demonstrated to yourself that it's not a, a game stopper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not, it's, it's, it's just, you just got to take it on the chin and keep going. Um, and eventually, like if you just keep plucking away at something, it will, uh, you'll, it'll eventually bear fruit. I don't know. I don't know what's a good expression for this. <laughs> <laughs> so the Kickstarter says that the final product will be delivered at the end of 2020. Mm. And that is based on your experience that the last project was supposed to take six months and instead it took 18. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming no obstacles happen, then we will be reading this magazine a year from this podcast. Is that right? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I'm looking for wood to touch. Uh, around me but yeah i mean that's the hope i really um like i really want to create something that is special and that feels exciting you know like my dream is for one day for like this magazine to become a part of the whole gaming calendar in general in the same way people look forward to e3 i want people to look forward to oh a new profound ways of time's coming out that's really cool i mean i know that's like a ridiculous thing almost to want but you know i i think and i think the only step really to getting that is just make something good and just keep making something good so we'll take the time that we need but yeah gunning for next christmas yeah that's that's the aim that's the wish hopefully i can be on your show in a year's time and we can see how it went <laughs> <laughs> i love that one difference between AppWatt and e3 of course is that e3 is annual and it has deadlines Whereas AppWatt, I don't know that I can really describe it as a periodical because I don't know what the frequency is. Like once every three years? I don't know what the frequency is either. Uh, I think like the aim is to get it to the point where it's annual, you know? Like I, I like it, I, I was just, I'm just, I was burnt out after the first one. I couldn't believe that I finally, that it was actually real and it was happening. I needed some time off. I think, I think now like the aim is to get to the point slowly but surely is you know just building up the infrastructure to the point where we can at least make this biannual if not annual you know it's just it's just one of the things where it the good things take time and i want to make good things i don't want to create something that's expendable i never want anyone to throw their copy of the magazine away i want it to be something that they keep it's meant to be something that you will still be able to read in 10 years time and still be able to get something good from it and to feel, and it will still feel relevant. That's just not something that I can do on like a monthly um, scale, unless I get a huge amount of money and someone, people are throwing cash at me and um, I'm able to hire loads of stuff and, you know, hire an office and stuff. But right now as a project that I do in my bedroom, this is the way it's got to be, sadly. But one day maybe it will be an annual thing, hopefully. Well, you did mention that you do need some rest in between the issues, and I assume that goes for the Kickstarter as well. The Kickstarter is currently scheduled to end on Thursday, December 19th, 2019 at 7 p.m. GMT. What are you going to do when the Kickstarter is over? 
Uh, probably just like, I don't know, I, I imagine like all the moisture will leave my body and I'll just become like a husk, like a raisin on the floor and I'll just be in the fetal position crying. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, like, well, like what I, I guess, I mean, I'll probably be at work. So I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's really nicely timed to be honest, cause it will be Christmas. So I'll get a few days off to, to chill. And then I'm going to just start working on this thing in earnest, you know, that's the idea. But I, I don't know. I think, I think it's, I, I don't, I honestly, it's weird hearing you even talk, like hearing someone even mention that this Kickstarter will be over because it's been such a focus in my life for so long. I don't even know. I haven't really thought about what comes after, to be honest. It can be a full-time job and to suddenly look at, the horizon, see a day when you're not doing this can be incomprehensible because it's so all consuming in the meantime. Yeah. You know what I think? You know what I think I'll do? I think like I'll probably put my head in my hands and shudder when I realize, oh no, I've got to do it all again. I've got to make the actual magazine now. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll like grieve about that for a bit. And then, and then once I've cr- cried my eyes out, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll actually make the thing. <laughs> well, at least you already have a good foundation. You've done so much work. You have a great staff to work with. There's one more thing I want to ask you about before we go, and this is something that you gave me permission to ask, which is sure. you have so many amazing accomplishments, and you have not been slowed down in the slightest, it seems, by having dyslexia. How does that manifest itself in your life? Ooh. Well, I mean, yeah, like, I've never really made, like, it's it's not something that I've ever really... uh I don't really talk about it. it's not really like a huge um huge deal uh in in my life but I do have very severe dyslexia and I mean it's quite hard when you're in the magazine business uh with something like that because you're dealing with text all the time I mean for me dyslexia kind of like it manifests itself in the way that like I get overwhelmed by information quite easily like if I have a long spreadsheet or a big form or something the words get jumbled together and I kind of I can, you know, misinterpret information or misread stuff. It happens all the time, even when I'm not aware that I'm doing it, which is the weird thing. Like so often I'll, you know, I'll say someone's name incorrectly, even though I know their name and, you know, I'm, I know it in my mind and I'm saying it in my mind and yet the, the words that are coming out of my mouth are different. With the magazine, it just means that like I, I miss typos and stuff. Um, but thankfully I have a proofreader and I, we hire proofreaders, professional proofreaders to counterbalance that. I don't know. I think it's, it's one of those things that like, it, it, it definitely makes me sort of, it, 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 it puts me off trying certain like very heavy, like, you know, mathematically heavy projects. Like, you know, I dabble a bit with, um, you know, game development now. But like, I didn't try for so long because I just like assumed that, you know, the, the degree of maths involved and all of that would just be too, you know, it would be, <laughs> I just wouldn't be good at it. So yeah, I think, I don't know, like, I guess the main thing, if you were going to cut right to the chase was that it kind of makes you second guess yourself a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like you kind of, um, I'm consistently unsure if I've got something right, because I can read something 12 times and still miss a typo in there. And, but to be honest, I think that's quite healthy 
in a way. I don't think I, I, <laughs> I think there's something about people who are super confident and super self-assured, which, uh, you know, maybe that's just the way I am. Maybe the way I am is that I'm just meant to be nervous. And maybe that's the way, <laughs> maybe like that awkwardness about my own work is like what makes me decent at what I'm doing. Does that make sense? I don't know. It does. I can totally imagine somebody who makes mistakes, but isn't aware of it, doesn't seek feedback, and isn't receptive to it when it's offered. I think of the two, I would much rather be in your position. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, like as far as like, you know, things that people can have, like it's very like, you know, in terms of like the lottery of life, the fact that like, that's what I ended up with is basically that, you know, that's a gold star ticket. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I completely, I'm so lucky that, you know, that's one of the few things that, um, you know, I have handicapping me in any way. So yeah, you know, it's, it, it it's it just, it's good in that it makes me constantly ask for help. And I think that's, um, and I think that's nothing but healthy. Do you know what I mean? I do. Well, thank you for sharing that. That that's very insightful. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm I, I'm happy. I, I'm sure it's not. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure it's not like. Uh, I, I'm sure you have people on who have, have much worse going on. But I appreciate you asking about it. It's it's kind of you. Sure, and I'm sure we have listeners who can empathize with your situation and hopefully <laughs> learn from it. Yeah, he's hoping, huh? He's hoping. So I appreciate you giving me so much of your time because you are very busy with the Kickstarter. Please remind our listeners where they can find both AppWatt and the crowdfunding campaign. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, so if you wanna um if you want to uh back the magazine, you can just type in a profound waste of time issue two into Kickstarter um and it should come up. But the best way to find us is just at AppWatMag on Instagram and Twitter. So it's um, at and then A-P-W-O-T and then mag. So at a pot mag. And you can find us on all the social media stuff. Um, and yeah, just give us a follow or um, back the campaign if you want. We would really appreciate the support. Fantastic. And I have backed the campaign, as I mentioned, and then the campaign ends next week at the time of this airing. That's Thursday, December 9th, 2019. So if you want to check it out, please do so. Cass, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I like I really honestly, like, I, I feel that I've been rambling too much and I'm sure your listeners are sick of hearing me, but um I, it was really nice to be here. So thanks. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Just so your viewers know, um, I've got a cup of tea and a ca- and like a teapot next to me, and they might hear me um, slurping and stuff during this podcast, and uh, that might be unpleasant. But I, I refuse to be shamed into not drinking because I'm tired right now. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna just I'm just gonna like let's do a sound test. Wait, you can you can you can let me know. Can you hear this? How was that? Hear what? Exactly. Brilliant. Didn't hear a thing. Cool. Nope. Brilliant. That's perfect. Oh, good to know. The T is silent. <laughs> yeah, exactly.